Right. I hit it. Got it. So we are recording now. Okay. Shake it out. One thing I do wish is there's a way to keep you pinned up on the corner when Zoom without every time I switch screens, you go away. Oh, if you hit the minimize. Oh, I can't minimize while I'm recording, but if you hit minimize, it should put me in a box. Ah, there you are. Okay, cool. I'm all hunched over here. We all have a set, yeah. We all have a set of held beliefs about the world around us. To challenge them is to acknowledge our foundation is sand, but it opens us up to something greater, to pure connection, to true life. Today's journey begins by uniting the depths of the sea with the riches of our forest. We have emulsified locally sourced cage encased in a flash frozen Sarnoski blend on a bed of foraged Alex Wolf foam. And I can't pronounce names. One more time. We all have a set of hell beliefs about the world around us. To challenge them is to acknowledge our foundation is sand, but it opens us up to something greater, to pure connection, to true life. Today's journey begins by uniting the depths of the sea with the riches of our forest. We have emulsified locally sourced cage encased the flash frozen Sarnoski blend on a bed of foraged Alex Wolf foam all bathed in a smoke from Alex Arkin. This episode is Pig. Hello and welcome to The Cage Equation with your hosts Malcolm Mickelson and me, Drake Mickelson. We're going to select, scrutinize, and solve the question about a Nicolas Cage movie. Did Cage fail the movie or did the movie fail Cage? Proceeding with the undeniable fact that Nicolas Cage can only create perfection, we will place the movie's failings at the feet of another to that end, we're going to start with the Metacritic score, assign culpability for each point nicked to the following three cage boards direction, script, and cage stars. Who blended this movie's cageosity? We're about to find out. Hello, Malcolm. And we Hello. are once again going on about this week's movie of Pig. Pig. Maybe, maybe the best movie I've watched all year. So if you haven't seen it, and this is sincere, you should turn us off and go watch it first. It's a masterpiece. Yeah. That's a it's a simple plot. Um, there are, but there are some spoilers, and also everything that we're about to describe, even all the little simple things, it's just fun to watch. And when that when this a couple of surprises do happen, um, especially with the performances, I think it's it was just a, a lot of good parts, a lot of fun. I'm gonna say fun again. But that there's a middle part with the in the restaurant that actually was I was giggling with um, as Cage tore apart a poor chef, um, metaphorically speaking, of course. Um, I think the first thing we could talk about is the trailer and the surprise that this movie was after we watched the trailer. Yeah, I so I was originally excited to see this movie because it appears to be Nicolas Cage as a homeless man in the woods who becomes John Wick after his pig is abducted. 
That's all I got from the, I don't even know how I got that from the trailer because I don't even think most of those scenes existed in the movie. Um, but <laughs> turns out good. it in no way has any action. I think there's one punch and Nicholas Cage doesn't even defend himself. And he only raises his voice twice in the whole movie. Um, yes. But yeah, so uh, I guess we can, we can do a summary of what the actual movie was, unless you got something else from the trailer. I'm trying to see the tagline on <laughs> the poster all- too. <laughs> yeah. I just want my pig. I think that was probably as close to a tagline as you were going to get. It yeah, was- the, the poster has that. And then we don't get a lot of things to really care about. And that's exactly what I thought the movie was going to be too, which I was completely fine with because I thought once again, this yes, John Wick with a pig, yes, please. And if somebody's out there listening, if you want to make John Wick with a pig, yes, please go ahead and do that too because well, I'll watch that one also. As long as that, it's Nicolas Cage as John Wick, <laughs> yes. So, um, as I mentioned in the intro, Michael Sornoski is the director. Um, the other main character in this was the kid, the Alex Wolf. He played Amir, and Adam Arkin came in later as basically the heavy or the bad guy in this. Um, Alex Wolf, you may know from a couple other movies. Uh, I would say the the biggest one that anyone knows him for anymore, though, is um, what was the horror movie he was in with Hereditary. Yeah, that that's where I'm basically knew him from. Although he's been in, I guess one of the Jumanji movies, uh, and also I don't remember just, that. Yeah, and he's also in Old, which is the latest one he was in this year. Um, that was with uh, M Night Shyamalan. M Night Shyamalan's movie. So he's actually carving out a pretty good uh, little career for himself. Um, but with those three actors, I think there were a couple other actors during the research that had some stuff that they'd done before. The old lady in the woods that helps him find the tweakers, which we'll get to here in a second. But other than that, um, almost all the people, even you couldn't even find the names of half the people in the movies on any of the research on IMBs or anything else. Yeah, it's uh, not a lot of heavy hitters in the movie, but it works out fine. That's yes. good because as you'll see, I don't know if we said Metacritic is 82. So not yep. a lot of not a lot of negative. And I think that's because it was it was all cage. They just left it to him. Um so let's get into the synopsis. Um it's a it's split into three chapters. Uh I'll 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 explain part one because I think that's my favorite part, which is rustic mushroom tart. Um this is so it starts with uh with Nicolas Cage finding some truffles nice scenic view of the Oregon outback. Um, Amir shows up, Alex Wolf's character, and tells him he needs a shower. And he's there to pick up his weekly truffle supply. Because just like his father, which we'll get to a little bit later, uh, Amir is in the ingredient supply game, which is a very apparently very lucrative in Portland. Cutthroat. Um, cutthroat, yes. <laughs> a lot of backstabbing. Um, picks him up. They let you know right away that Nicholas Cage doesn't even have a phone. Um, the following night, in a, in a pitch black scene, Nicholas Cage is mugged. I don't know if mugged's the right word. They steal his pig. They hit him it's in the head. Home. And they steal his pig. It's a classic home invasion. 
classic Oregon woods log cabin home invasion for a truffle pig. Um, you all know the scene we're, de we're describing, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so this is the only action they showed in that whole trailer. This, this is the scene that basically the whole trailer is based around. It lasts like 20 seconds. It's almost impossible to see anything that happens um, other than a squealing pig and Nicolas Cage getting hit from behind. Yeah. Um, I would, I would like to point out that pig is possibly one of the cutest pigs I've ever seen. Yes. And as, uh, as we found out in our research, there's a reason for that. They could not afford an actual trained truffle pig. So they just got the, the cutest, cheapest pig they could find and kind of force of willed all the scenes with the pig to work. Yeah. Um, a lot of bribes and he bit Nicolas Cage um, at least once. So he, they steal the pig. Nicholas Cage gets in his truck, which immediately breaks down. He wanders to town, still covered in dirt with blood down the side of his face, into a diner. Um, where he asks for a woman who died 10 years ago. Marge. Marge, um, who, is, who is dead, and calls Amir to pick him up so they can go to the, the Truffle Queen, I guess. Some old lady in the woods <laughs> where... <laughs> where she's upset that there's possible poachers in the area. So she takes him to find the tweakers, which they corner them and give helpful information. Uh, things like what kind of car did he drive was one of the questions I was asked. Black, waxy. That's the information Nicholas Cage is working off of. Um, and then somehow he figures out they're in Portland. I don't know if he just takes a logical leap. No one tells him where the guy who paid them. It's revealed that he, uh, they were paid to steal the pig. Yeah. But that's all they know. And I think he knows enough about, well, I think Amir's guiding because Amir knows where the truffles come from and he knows the, where the, where he gets them from. So he gets them to the tweakers through the lady. So that's, I think they now have some idea that they were stolen by this group of Portland underground restauranteurs. I don't, I'm not sure. I would like to point out too that from personal experience in retail, those tweakers, I, I don't know if they did personal research or anything else, but they were uh, the perfect, perfect couple of tweakers, right down to the lies um, and the fact that they just immediately gave up anything and everyone. Yeah, just so it. they don't get bothered anymore. Yeah. So. Um. This <laughs> so that's not the end of the first chapter because I believe the first chapter goes all the way till they get to Portland. Yes, and he tracks down his old, his old contact Edgar, <laughs> and Edgar runs a, a literal underground fighting ring for people in the service industry. And when I say underground, it is in the sub basement of a burned down hotel, which was then covered up with a state park or something, that they had to go cut through a restaurant to get into a hole in the wall, to get into. Um, <laughs> maybe maybe a better secret door i don't know i don't know most secret doors usually don't require, require you to like do literal damage to everything around and is this the same door everyone else went in yeah i, I don't think so because they have to move so they break into a basement and then move this very large cabinet full of hardware to find a hole in a wall i think is it a hole in the wall or is it i don't i don't even really know it's, what it is it's a hole in the wall. It, I I don't know. I think there was some uh, there. I think the director just needed to get him somewhere. 
Yeah. So, so they, so they go underground um, and Amir is exposed to the CD underside of the service industry where uh, servers and wait staff are bidding for the right or the, the right basically to beat people up defenseless people. You're not allowed to fight back. And then you write your name on the wall and then everyone bids how much they really want to beat you up. Um, and Nicholas Cage's character, Rob gets a huge bid because uh, then it's revealed that Rob used to be one of the biggest chefs in all of Portland before his wife died. And he went crazy and disappeared into the woods. Robin Feld. Robin Feld. Feld. So. That's the a- first chapter of three. <laughs> I would say that that was probably the most, the, the fight club aspect, whatever the thing was was the most confusing aspect of the whole thing. Uh, the director, when we read a couple of interviews, was explained that basically the idea behind it was the amount of abuse, of abuse that the people, the wait staffs and the maitre d's and the restaurant workers get on a daily basis that they, uh, he knew several of them that would go home and just pound punching bags after working because they couldn't say anything for their entire shift. And so that's where the idea of this one came out. Um, the execution, and there was no explanation exactly of what was going on. Everything we just said is basically just we're guessing that that's what's going on, which I think was a, actually this whole, this whole turned Portland restaurants into basically, I think I've said for like Game of Thrones. It was, or I mean, it makes the most complex political situations you've ever seen in your life look very, very, very simple. I mean, it, it, I was trying to figure it out the whole time. Well, not the whole time after the guy, after the short guy punched Nicholas Cage several times in the face, that's when I kind of gave up on wanting to know what had actually happened. So at that point I just sat back and went along for the ride. Yeah. And it, it just got weirder. So he wakes up and do you want, do you want to explain Chapter two. Or do you want chapter to... two. Yes. Yeah, so in chapter two, after being beat up, the kid takes him back to his apartment. Very nice apartment. So obviously the kid's got some money and the kid uh, explains to him in part two, which is called mom's French toast and deconstructed scallops. We first get the front mom's French toast with the, the kid fixed for, fix for cage. And then he cage ask him why about a little bit about the kid you find out that the kid's parents had their favorite meal ever cooked by him it was one of the few the only time he ever remembers his parents being happy um they came home and talked it for hours and hours about the about this wonderful meal that he had cooked the kid then opens up about the fact that i think this is where we find out that his mom had committed suicide which in fact we find out was Actually, not successful, but that was another reveal that we come up with later. I don't think we have to worry about uh, revealing in time on on the podcast. (laughs) I've ruined the end of the podcast for everybody. Um, At which point, Nicolas Cage then speaks for probably about the longest point in the movie that he ever does in the whole time, where he talks about the fact that Portland 200 years ago was underwater, or it was under 200 feet of water a few thousand years ago. Yes. And at some point, it will be under 200 feet of water again. And when the earthquake hits, it will level the town, and anybody who's still around will look up to see 
a giant wall of water de <laughs> descending <laughs> upon them, which is why none of this really matters. And after this long soliloquy, he looks down at his plate and says, you really should use stale bread for your French toast. Um, it does establish himself as an expert chef. Yes. Only a true chef would know such a thing. I actually looked up and see if uh, Nicholas Cage had actually done any training as a chef. I thought he'd gone completely method here. Actually, he hasn't. He learned how to cook two different dishes, and that was it. And that was the extent of his training. He, he sat with a chef for, I think, maybe a day to learn how to cook these two dishes. In his defense, um, though, he only had 20 days for the entire production of this film. This whole film was filmed in 20 days with no reshoots. And they actually cut out an hour of the footage from the original screening. Uh, yeah. So we are we are all waiting for the blue the Blu-ray edition at this point. Because so. I I want to see what was cut. Um at this point, the kid then takes him, I believe, to go to see the chef at a very exclusive restaurant. Um, and that's where the little quote that I said at the beginning, where we all have a set of hell beliefs, is actually pretty much a word for word that was given by the pretentious waitress before they ate two scallops with his fingers. His fingers. scallops. Yes. They pulled open the little thing and had the smoke comes out and he just picks one up and pops it in his mouth and says, I would like to see the chef. I, and the chef comes out, which I thought was kind of weird. And you would thought, oh well, he must know it's it's this the mythical Robin Feld. No, he doesn't. The chef's standing in front of him until finally he looks down and realizes that he's looking at his his former boss because he asked him at and then at the next point he asked him, "What did I say to you? Ask you say to you when I fired you?" <laughs> so Nicholas Cage seems to have a pretty deep roots with everybody in, in Portland. Once they find out who he is, it, it's like the magic word. Um, this is my favorite scene in the whole movie. He keeps trying to ask him what to, to, what's the concept here? At which he goes back into the whole thing about, well, we're trying to take a, a scallop but show it in a different light. And every time <laughs> Nicholas Cage just keeps asking him, what are you doing, Derek? What? <laughs> At which point the kid, guy gulps down a couple bottles of wine and has a nervous breakdown in front of him. Um, my then came to our favorite part also is what did you say you wanted to do? He wanted to open an old English pub. He asked him why he didn't do that. And he said, well, it's not what people want. And Nicolas Cage once again tells somebody that it doesn't matter what you want. They don't matter. Nobody matters. It only matters about the art you're doing. Not only does it not matter, they're not even real. None of the critics are real at all. <laughs> and I think we may have gotten a little meta here at this point, because I don't think Nicholas Cage is necessarily that. It may be actually Nicholas Cage talking at this point. I can see him reading the script and going, okay, I'm doing the movie. He does say this is the closest he's ever felt to one of his characters. Yes. That there's a lot of similarities. And that, that my first thought when I watched the scene was that he was just talking about the fact that everyone makes fun of him for putting out 108 movies. Um, he's just going to keep doing whatever he wants to do. Yeah. He doesn't care. I would like to think that 
as soon as they walked out of the restaurant, Derek closed immediately, flipped over the close sign, left the area, and went and opened the pub. But You'd I'm not sure. You would hope. Um, then comes, I would say, probably Nicolas Cage's biggest action scene of, of his own um, with the Camaro. Yeah, so he finds out he finds out it's Amir's dad who took the pig, a man you don't want to cross, a man deep in the seedy underbelly of, of the ingredient sourcing game. Um, and he beats the crap out of his car. And probably doubled the budget. Yeah. He, uh, he puts a couple dents in it. Uh, and then at that point, Amir says he has no idea that he's never even told his dad about about the strange man in the woods he buys his truffles from. Um, so I think he steals a bike. Is that, is that what he does next? He steals yeah, a kid's a, bike or something? Steals a bike off a porch um, and rides it to his uh, former house where him and his wife lived. And Which is now home. inhabited by only what appears to be only an eight-year-old child with no adult supervision. <laughs> Um, who lets the dirty, bloody man come into his house to sit on his back porch so they can talk about persimmon trees and tannins. Tannins. Um, at this point, then he gets to go see, he walks to see the, uh, the bad guy, who's now revealed to be the actor Adam Arkin, who's Amir's father. Um, I'm actually a fan of Adam Arkin. I think he's always, he's, he's mostly done lately just a lot of direction and a lot of different TVs and TV shows, but he always pops up here and there and he's played a bad guy several times. Um, I think he does a pretty good job at it. And uh, Mr. Arkin lets him know that he's not going to get his pig back and also wants him to ask him several times if he knows who he is. And knows what kind of trouble he can bring to his life because once again, he supplies restaurants. Um, he offers two thousand. <laughs> he offers two thousand dollars for the pig, twenty thousand, twenty-five thousand, two million. I think he actually hit twenty million at some point. And Nicholas Cage doesn't care because all he wants is his pig. He then gets kicked out of the house. He goes out and he has a little heart to heart with the with Amir again. Nicholas Cage does, and he has the big reveal about the fact that he doesn't need the pig. He just loves it. He just loves the pig. But as he's clarified earlier in the movie, he doesn't fuck his pig. No, it's one of the first lines you hear him say <laughs> in a full sentence. Oh, oh boy. Um, so, <laughs> I I don't know this this scene is just watching Adam Markin turn turn the idea of a restaurant tour into the ultimate bad guy, and the fact that his kid is not meant for this business, this cutthroat business. It'll eat him alive. Eat him alive. I mean, I once again I at once want to know exactly what he's talking about and never want to learn what he's talking about because I think once you learned what he talked was talking about you're not going to be nearly as impressed as you are if he is. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we get through that. Um, that brings us to the, the third chapter, which is uh, 
doesn't not much happens, even though it's about the same length as the other the other two. Yeah. Um, Nicholas Cage sends Amir on a scavenger hunt to find ingredients, uh, while he goes and visits his old restaurant, where some woman don't really know who I'm assuming just his baker. Yeah, it was the restaurant. She just worked at his restaurant as a baker. She just took over. And I don't know if he like if she just started paying everything, but it doesn't sound like he ever gave her the restaurant. He just walked out one day and never came back. Um, he gets a couple lemon bars and a baguette. Yes. And then uh, they break into the dad's house and the dad doesn't seem to notice there's two people in his house cook an entire meal uh, and serve the dad who, again, doesn't seem bothered that Nicolas Cage has broken into his house and cooked a meal for him. Um, and then Alex or Adam Arkin has a breakdown because he realizes it's the exact same meal he ate with the love of his life 15 years ago. Years ago. Um, and that's when we find out for sure. It's been hinted at that Nicolas Cage has the uncanny ability to remember every dish he ever served ever. It's a superpower, uh, much like John superpower. Wick. He can remember everything. Yes. Um, and then uh, it's the heartbreaking moments reveal that the tweakers were not expert pig handlers, and they had to put the and they had to put the pig down. They were too rough with it. By the time it got to me, there was nothing I could do. I love the fact that Adam Arkin gives you a breakdown here at this point. He cries. And he, he, he starts crying at the meal. He goes in, he yells at, he, he gives like this master class of a breakdown of about my wife and how did you know what it was? And it's not my fault. The pig is dead. At which point, Nicolas Cage watches his acting and says, oh, you're going to do a breakdown? Here, hold, hold my, my pigeon, my bottle of wine and everything else because I'm going to fall to the floor now. And show you what real acting's all about. Screaming in agony. Agony about his pig. About his lost pig. And um, meanwhile, and then Amir pulls it back in from the door as he watches both of his father and his new father figure. And his eyes well up with tears. I think it was quite a scene there. I think that was you got like three yeah. levels of acting. It it went, it went up high, and they brought it right back down low again. And that uh Basically, the conclusion of the movie, they go to a diner that doesn't serve pie. What? That was maybe the weirdest part in the entire movie. I was going to say, I I can do with an underground fight club where you beat up restaurant people. I can do with with the ultimate bad guy, like the kingpin of restaurants, I guess. I'm not sure. I I can do with all this stuff. But a diner that doesn't serve pie. But they have cookies? Was that what they had? Yeah, they had two kinds of cookies. But no pie. They don't do pie. pie. No. Well, not since Marge left. When Marge died, I think they probably cut out the pie. Um, And then it just kind of ends. Nicolas Cage walks home, listens to, of course, a tape given to him by his wife. He's never been able to listen to the song, which is a, uh, oh, Bruce It's a cover. Springsteen, yeah. I'm on fire. I, I, it's one of those weird choices where I'm not, I just, I, why was it this song? But then you would think if you're going to record a song for somebody, would you really try and find, let me find the perfect song that they'll listen to when I'm dead. And they're when I die, 
unexpectedly yeah. 10 years later. So, and that's pretty much, and then Nicholas Cage dramatically looks up into the light and we fade the black. Um, I, I think we could talk for another six hours and still never quite do justice to what we, what we witness on the screen. Um, we now is the point where we're going to talk about what was the biggest cage points. This is actually not a normal Nicolas Cage performance. It's it's much more on the interior. He doesn't dial it up too much until that end scene, and even that one's muted compared to what he usually does. Yeah, it's um, a it's a hard film to dissect. This is our third attempt to talk about this film. <laughs> um, as you can tell, it's not exactly what we were expecting uh, from no. Nicolas Cage. But uh, so, what's the what's the first category? Um, the first one is just uh, is just the cageosity. How cage was he in this movie? And, and he wasn't he wasn't cage at all. He wasn't cage at all. But in some ways, that made him more caged than ever. Um, he described this film. <laughs> he described the film as a haiku. And he's used to, used to doing it, even in the interview that I think we both read, it was where he said his, his, his acting is considered more operatic. He often, he overshoots it on purpose. Um, he doesn't try, he doesn't try for realistic performances. He's trying to give you a stage performance. He's trying to give you a piece of art on the screen. And when he read this one, he knew he was going to pull it back and do a, more, a, a lot more of an impressionistic, uh, real-to-life performance. And I, I can't say that he didn't pull it off completely. So, although we have a cageosity of, I would say, probably one of the lowest ones we'll ever do, um, at the same time, it was exactly what he needed to do. So it's hard to um, say anything bad about it. Um, uh, no. Our, uh, we got nuclear cage. I think the only thing close to a meltdown is his sobbing. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But at the same time, that thing he did to that that poor chef in the middle about the about the scallops, he locked eyes on that guy, and it was it was over with. And that guy, the actor on the other side, once again just had a complete breakdown. Just was I've never seen anybody more scared in their life for trying to trying to explain what they'd done with their life. And maybe the actor's that good, but I have to have a feeling that that staring at you probably was helpful for the performance um so once again it's a low score but once again we don't have to worry about it because cage did exactly what he had to for this movie um his cageisms i he dialed back we didn't have a southern accent which i was happy for um didn't have a lot of dialogue but I think that seems to be the way he's going anymore with a lot of things. So we have a couple other movies that we could pick up later where there's a, not near as much talking as he used to do. Yeah, especially he's been doing, uh, yeah, like his last few, like Mandy, he didn't talk very much. It didn't seem like, um, yeah, none of them. None of them are no. the big action films he used to do, though. No. I keep wondering when somebody's going to pull him back into one of those and offer him a a buttload of money just to do one more. National it's got to be National Treasure 3. The second National Treasure made $50 million more than the first one. <laughs> the fact that it never got a sequel is a travesty. 
Oh, it's sad. I mean, travesty. Travesty. <laughs> there's nothing more. Yeah, there's nothing more to say about any of those. Um, okay, so our next part, since that part is not as going to be near as big as what we usually do, is now we have to sign blame for why this is not 100% on Metacritic. 18 points of blame. 18 points of blame. So and I'm gonna I'm gonna put forth we should we should add a fourth category. Okay. Because I don't I don't think the director or the script or even the other stars were the issue at all. It all comes down to uh the publisher or whoever, whoever said you can't have more than two hours. This film's yes. 95 minutes, it's not long. Oh, this could have been, this could this could have been the godfather of restaurant movies. I mean, we this could have, yeah, and it, it's lost. In, I I would say, um, well, first of all, the director and the screenwriter are once again the same person. Yeah, which is actually something Nicholas Cage has been doing because he's actually been finding scripts and and, and directors that he likes, young ones who haven't don't have much um, experience at all or don't have any backing. And he's used his name as a producer to actually get these, these films made. Um, Mr. Ronansky, uh, he actually, this is the first movie he's ever directed. Yep. And from this it's movie. Three shorts and two series where he did five episodes each. The last time he directed was in 2012. Yeah. So this guy actually has some chops. Um, just the opening sequence there in the woods was beautiful. Everything he did. I, I often wonder why when I watch people do movies and you see it's all washed out, I'm like, how hard is it to find somebody that can actually shoot something that looks good? And they're with budgets much bigger than this one. Um, I guess it must be harder, but, you know, it's, it's crazy. Um, we also, I, I would say if there's a weak point between him as either a director or as a, as a writer, I think the screenplay could probably have used a little bit more here and there. It, it, the fight club thing was a little weird. They could have yeah. probably cleaned, they probably could have cleaned it up a little bit and tightened up a couple things or added in a couple of things here and there, but, but not much more. Um, the co-stars. Um Alex Wolf, I, between Adam Arkin and Alex Wolf, Alex Wolf is probably not the most exciting choice, but at the same time, I don't know how much of an exciting choice you want in that role. No. Well, especially he fits the role well because he, in an interview, he mentioned that Nicolas Cage is one of his favorite actors of all time, which I think maybe, maybe helps him a little bit uh, in some of the scenes. Um. And then Adam Arkin. I mean, I it's funny because when I see him, because one of his first roles I ever saw him in was in a comedy called Northern Exposure, where he played, and you'll find this interesting, he played a world-famous chef who had given it all up and moved to Alaska and lived in a cabin where no one knew about it. His name was Adam. And he lived... <laughs> the first scene is the main character in Northern Exposure gets knocked in the head out in the middle of the woods, this guy drags him to his cabin and feeds him. And he's eating it. And he goes, you know, this is weird, but this tastes exactly like this mushroom dish I had in New York at this fabulous restaurant. 
at which point we find out that in fact that restaurant that the chef of that restaurant stole that recipe from this guy living out in the middle of the woods so i just thought that was kind of interesting the whole time i'm watching this is is nicholas cage has also brought in the one guy that would understand the role that he was playing to the difficulties that he was going through um adam it doesn't sound like adam ever had to deal with a unruly truffle pig though no he did not he was up uh he had deal with some other (laughs) other weird situations up there I've also seen him as a mob boss on a couple other shows too. So he does the heavy well. Um, I I just, once again, I can't think of anything apart. The only thing I would have liked is maybe if they would have had thrown in a couple celebrity chefs in the background here and there would have been interesting, but yeah, I don't know. I, if I have to, or what's your fourth category then is uh, the producers. Uh, yeah. Who are not even producers. So that's Nicholas Cage and, um, the director, I think, were the two main. Whoever, uh, like the company, whoever put out the put out the movie yeah. and told him he had to cut an hour. Uh, they also only gave him twenty days to film with no reshoots, an undisclosed budget, which I feel like means a very, very, very small budget. Yes. Um, yeah, it doesn't sound like they did much of anything for this movie. Yeah, but I mean, that's I mean, they had certain limitations. I think sometimes that's when you get your best. Your best work out of people. Okay, so what percentage you want to get? Then we'll give our mysterious uh, overlords the fourth estate here. Who? What? What percentage are we going to give them? I'd say out of eighteen, at least half, maybe even more. Well, it'd be easier. What? So you said the script needs work. Yes. We want to give the script. I would give it maybe let's say five percent. Five percent. Okay, leaves us thirteen to play with. Um, I broke the Excel sheet. Your very advanced Excel sheet you sent me that was color coordinated <laughs> is now broken. Uh, so it works we're very for, official. It works um, for real then. And then cage the cage stars or the co stars. Yes, uh, the pigs at least a couple points. You could tell okay. wasn't the okay. heart wasn't in it. No, almost killed Nicholas Cage, a national treasure. <laughs> There's some stunt uh, work there that it should have worked on, but it didn't. It didn't learn its craft. I'd say I say three percent for the pig. And then do you want Doc? Any of the other co-stars? I thought they all did their jobs. I don't think they. I think they did too. I mean, like I said, that the, the only one that out of all of them that could have maybe been better was Alex Wolf. But then again, I think that was more the part he was playing than it was the actual. Yeah, and it was a quiet movie. You really don't want them exploding all over the screen. No. And then we'll give, do we want to give the last 10% of blame to the, the, the magical rulers who took away yes. an hour of pig? Yes. Maybe one day we can come back and we can grade this movie and it'll be at 95% when we see the full majesty. The, uh, what's the director's name? The director's, the Cernoski cut. The, the Cernoski cut. Hopefully HBO <laughs> will swoop in and, and produce a Cernoski cut. That way we can get the sequel. Um, oh, that's going to be great when that all starts happening, when everybody starts having director's cuts of everything. Only a pig. That's all we need. Um, but yeah, so there, there you have it. 18% divvied out. 10% is the fact that they made it so short. Um, 5% goes to the script and 3% to the, the untrained truffle pig that tried to kill Nicolas Cage. Yes. I think that sounds fair. Yeah, 
any other parting thoughts on the movie pig um no i was a real it was a real surprise and it was actually a real movie i was it was wonderful so it was it wasn't our strongest pick for well we're still figuring out the structure of this but it was a it was a fun movie and i got to watch it like three times before i could yes talk about it for this long so um but yeah so up next we have the rock do we decide the rock the rock because i think that'll be exactly what we're looking for now we've uh this has been More a classic cage classic cage um and there's a lot of decisions that were made in that movie that will be uh, very interesting to talk about. I don't even know. We'll have to look up the Metacritic score on that one. And we should... We'll try to have that one out earlier than a, than a month or so after this one. And as a bit um, of business, also, we were, we were named Rattling the Cage. Uh, we noticed that there were a couple of people that had actually were rattling the cage. There was a rattling the cage. So that's when we came up with the cage equation. So I know to our multitude of fans, that was a bit of a shock, shock, but now all, all two of us that are listening to it will now know what the right name is. Yeah. All right. Well, then the next time we'll see you on The Rock. And this is Drake Mickelson, Malcolm Mickelson, and we're signing off.